Hey, welcome once again to Freedom Bible Church. We're really honored every week that you would tune in and join us in our Bible teaching on Sunday. And we really want to encourage you to use this time not just as a, a sit and listen observer type of time, but to use this as an active participation time to open up the Bible, to, to read uh, the passages that are on the handouts that we send out in our, in our email. Use it that time. And, and as a family, if you're alone, then, then use that time to study by yourself. But if you're with other people, you can even stop the message in the middle and discuss and ask questions. Make this an active participation time because we want you to not just sit and listen, but to grow and to become a disciple who's making other disciples. That's what we're intending this to be. So we, we're thankful that you're here with us, joining us with that. Um, want to say happy Memorial Day to you. That's tomorrow on uh, May 25th. Happy Memorial Day. And we just want to especially recognize some of our veterans that are part of the church. Um, Pete Falls and Chuck Strausser. And Dante Allgood, all three of these men serve this country, and we want to say thank you to those guys. And if, if you're part of Freedom Bible and you served, and I didn't mention you, I just want to say I'm sorry. I don't know anybody else who did, but if you did, we want to say thank you for doing that. And if you're tuning in with us and you served, thank you for doing that. On Memorial Day, we remember people who served and gave their lives. These three men and others like them have risked their lives, and we thank them just as well. And I just want to stop and, uh, and pray right now. Pray for our country. You see, as followers of Jesus, we hold a dual citizenship. We are citizens. First and foremost, our highest allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our king. But we were born and by the sovereignty of God put into this country. And we're citizens of this country. So we want to pray for our leaders. We want our, we want our country to thrive and be prosperous to be blessed so that we can be a blessing. We want our country to be righteous and God-fearing. And we want everybody in our country to come to Christ and become part of that, that kingdom. So um, let's, let's pray for that this morning. Father, we, we welcome you. Really, you welcome us into your presence. And we, we don't take that for granted. You're the most high God, the sovereign, the creator, um, all-powerful, all-knowing Lord of everything. And and we come before you humbly, thanking you for making us citizens of your kingdom through Jesus Christ. Through faith in him, forgiveness of sins, we become residents of your kingdom, your eternal kingdom. Father, we also acknowledge that you've put us here in the United States of America and, and different people watching from around the world, whatever country you've put them in, to be citizens of that kingdom, Lord. And we pray for our countries that our leaders would be wise, that they would be humble, that they would put the needs and best interests of the population ahead of their own political aspirations or getting votes or building up their bank account, anything like that. We pray for humble, wise, moral leaders, Father, in this country. Uh, we pray for our governors and president as they are trying to make the, pray they try to make the best decisions. Um, and, and for people who are suffering and struggling financially, emotionally during this time, God, we pray for mercy. We pray for your help and your hand upon them, please. Lord, we thank you for the men and women who made the ultimate sacrifice for the freedom of this country. Pray that we wouldn't waste it or squander it or take it for granted, but we would, we would enjoy the freedoms and not let them be, be uh, restricted now, Father. 
But we thank you for their lives that were given. We thank you for the folks from our church and people who are serving now. We pray for protection for our men and women uh, in the services uh, around the world right now. Uh, Lord, we, we thank you. We honor you today. And now ask you, as we continue to do some announcements and preach, that you would speak to us, Father, through Jesus. Amen. I uh, want to just give you some updates on our timeline for regathering. Uh, we've already scheduled this coming Saturday, May the 30th, as a work day. We want to invite everybody to come on out. We want you to be able to you know, distance yourselves appropriately, wear gloves, wear a mask if you like. Uh, but we've got different work projects. We've sent those projects and the what to bring list in an email uh, this week. We'll send another one out th- next week. But we need you to sign up by today, uh, anytime before the end of the day. We just need to know um, to prepare the different teams for work projects and also how much food to get. So would you please sign up by today? In our email, we sent out a Google Sheet that you can go to and, or Google Doc and sign up there. Uh, if you need to get on that or if, if you don't have Google Docs, You can um, get on our church website and the contact page there and just type in the information there. Hey, this is who it is. This is how many people are coming. We just like to know. We just want to say thanks already. We have about, I think, 17 people signed up. So we want to thank you for for that. So that's our first step is May 30th. And then our our, our COVID-19 advisory team, we met on Thursday this past week. And we have, uh, we just really sensing the Lord directing us to, to re-establish, to regather, to start meeting together again on June the 7th. And so mark that on your calendars. This week I'll send out an email with different precautions we'll be taking, but plan on June 7th. And again, one, I'll just say this right now. Um, if you're feeling sick, then we're asking you to stay home. If you're not feeling comfortable yet to be in that group and we'll, we'll establish and, and respect the distancing things, um, then you will we'll be able to watch um, at home. We'll do a live stream. You'll be able to do that. But we just want to let you know about that. And some people are going to think, wow, this is way too soon. June 7th is too soon. Some people will think, what took you so long? We could have done this weeks ago. Um, we're just asking that everybody bear with each other. Um, not everybody's going to agree on everything, but we've been trying to be wise. We've been prayerful, and we've just sensed the Lord directing us to start again on June the 7th. And like I said, we'll send you details in an email. Let me pray once again before we open God's word. Father, we, we thank you for um, giving us your word. We thank you. We've been studying the Holy Spirit. We ask you, your Holy Spirit, now to speak to us. That's one of the things that he does. He speaks to us, and we know that you speak through your word. Ask you to do that today and transform us as we listen to you. Uh, We pray, Father, through Jesus. Amen. Well, this is actually it. This is uh, the sixth and final week in our series about the Holy Spirit. We looked at who is the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit do, how do I walk in the Spirit, and then how do I quench the Spirit? What quenches the Holy Spirit? We did part one last week where we looked at who quenches the Holy Spirit, and we got that idea from 1 Thessalonians 5.19, which says, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Um, if you can look at this picture, you'll remember, if you saw last week, that last week we showed a picture of three little kids holding a fire hose, putting out a fire with water. 
Today we're looking at a Skykorsky helicopter putting out a wildfire with some other, that's not water, that's some type of red substance. What is that? And I was doing some research and I saw that they, they call this ammonium phosphate. Ammonium phosphate is what they're dumping on that wildfire. Now, there's a boy, I guess he's a man now, he's a friend of my son Drew's that I coached in basketball back in Montana. This is what he does now. He's a forest fire fighter and does this kind of work with axes on the ground and they drop this ammonium phosphate. And it got me thinking that there's several different things that are used to quench a fire. To put out a fire, they use ammonium phosphate. We use water, obviously. Um, I did some research, and in our fire extinguishers, they put a thing called Class A foam in a fire extinguisher. I don't know what that is or what the difference between Class A foam and Class B foam and Class C foam, what those are. But this Class A foam will extinguish and quench a fire. If you get a grease fire on your grill tomorrow on Memorial Day, you got to put baking soda or baking powder or something like that on that fire to, to extinguish it. There's different materials that quench a fire. And there are different things that quench the Holy Spirit. Last week we saw five of them. We said that a, a corrupt spirit, a callous spirit, a complaining spirit, a cover-up spirit, or a critical spirit. And by spirit we mean like the attitude, the prevailing attitude of my heart. If it's corrupt or callous or complaining or covers up or is critical, that those things extinguish the Holy Spirit. Well, today in part two, we're going to look at four more things, four more C words that quench and extinguish and put out the Holy Spirit. Last week we were in the Old Testament. Today we're going to jump back from Old Testament to New Testament to look at what quenches the Holy Spirit. And we're going to begin with the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to look at a guy named Joshua. And a little bit of a history here in Joshua chapter 7. Uh, Joshua is leading God's people after Moses died. They are east of the Jordan River. They're going to cross the Jordan River to the west side to Jericho. They will conquer Jericho, defeat Jericho in battle. And what we're going to pick up is in chapter 7 where they go on to their next conquest, which is the city of Ai. And we're going to see what happens there. So we're going to John, Joshua chapter 7. Joshua sent some of his men from Jericho to spy out the city of Ai, east of Bethel near Beth-Avon. When they returned, they told Joshua, it's a small town and it won't take more than two or three thousand of us to go and destroy it. There's no need for all of us to go there. They're saying, you know what, we defeated Jericho really easily. We're going undefeated this season. No one's going to beat us this season. This little town, that's, uh, that's going to be easy pickings. We're going to go there. It's almost like if the Cleveland Indians were to play the Lake Erie Crushers. The Indians would say, listen, we don't even need to bring all our players. We're going to stomp these guys. Or if the Cleveland Cavaliers were going to play Lorain County Community College in a game of basketball, they would say, we don't need to all go. Our ball boy could go, and we're going to stomp these guys. Or if Ohio State were to play Michigan, they would say, we've stomped these guys the last 10 years. We can send our second team, and we can go beat those guys. It's going to be easy. Verse 4. So approximately 3,000 warriors were sent, but they were soundly defeated. 
The men of Ai chased the Israelites from the city gates as far as the quarries. Now, I don't know where these quarries are at, but imagine these guys running down the hill from these quarries. And they're being chased. And arrows flying, maybe rocks from the quarry being rolled down. And they, were, and they killed about 36 who were retreating down the slope. The Israelites then were paralyzed with fear at this turn of events. We're not going undefeated. And their courage melted away. I remember the very first college football game that I ever went to was in Montana. It was Montana State. It was their home opener one year. And one of the deacons from our church had extra tickets. So he took me and my two sons and we went, had a great time. The only problem was uh, the outcome of the game. You see, the week before in the season opener, Montana State flew to Colorado. Big Division I school. They won the national championship in 1988 or 1989. And Ohio, or Montana State went to the University of Colorado and they beat them. They knocked off this national powerhouse. So they came back thumping their chests. We're going undefeated. They became nationally ranked in their division, in Division I AA. They came into their home opener, and they were playing a Division II school, this small school, Chadron State from Nebraska. Chadron State came in, and they stomped them. They lost by double figures to Chadron State. And all this wind that was in their sails got taken away. All their courage got melted away. Why? Because they were beat by a smaller school. My question is here, what led to this downfall for the Israelites? Why did they get defeated? They should have won easily. The big reason, one of the, re the, the, the small reason, is there was sin in their camp. If you were to read Joshua chapter 6, you would read all about that. In fact, our... Um, our Disciple Pathway reading for this week is Joshua 1 through 8. So if you follow that, you'll read and see about this sin in the camp. And that sin, that unrepented sin, was a problem. But the bigger problem was, before they went to attack Ai, they didn't ask God what he wanted them to do. They didn't ask God how many men he wanted them to take, because if they had stopped and ask God about this, he would have pointed out, hey, there's a problem here. Before you can go and, and fight AI, you need to deal with this sin in the camp. You need to repent from this sin and turn from this sin. You see, the big problem was they did not seek God nor consult God. And why? It's because they had a cocky Spirit. This cocky spirit quenched the Holy Spirit. A cocky spirit is a proud or an arrogant spirit, and uh, a proud or arrogant attitude, a conceited attitude. After defeating Jericho very easily, and ironically, it wasn't they who defeated, but it was really God who supernaturally defeated them. After defeating Jericho, they were self confident. They were self-assured. They were arrogant and proud and cocky. And their cockiness drowned out the Holy Spirit's leading and the Holy Spirit's power. Their pride and their confidence in their own abilities, in their own judgment, it quenched the Spirit of God. And they paid dearly. Lives were lost. If you are a gifted, talented person, if you have experienced success in work, in business, in athletics, in the arts, the performing arts, 
in child raising, if you've experienced success in personal finance or personal fitness or in business or in, um, in, in spiritual growth in your walk with the Lord, if you've experienced success in education or whatever you're gifted in, if you're gifted, then be very careful. Don't become proud or arrogant or cocky or self-assured or self-confident in your own abilities. Because remember, your abilities were given to you. It's called a gift because it's been given to you by God. You can rely on your abilities, but by doing so, you could quench the Spirit's leading and empowering. In my quiet time this week, I was reading in the book of Amos. And in, in book of Amos chapter 6, verse, verse 8, says, The sovereign Lord has sworn by himself. The sovereign Lord Almighty declares, and this is what he says, I abhor the pride of Jacob. He doesn't say, you know what, I've got a problem with the, the pride of Jacob. He doesn't say, oh, you know what, I'm not very happy with the pride of Jacob. He doesn't say, I'm really disappointed in the pride of Jacob. He doesn't even say, I don't like the pride or I hate the pride. This is the strongest word you could use is I abhor. I completely, completely hate and abhor the pride of Jacob. When you think about it, pride is the first sin in all of creation. Now, the first sin in the Bible is the lie from the enemy. But the first sin of all of creation is the pride of the enemy, which led him to fall and be cast out of heaven. Uh, this cocky spirit, this proud spirit is abhorrent to God. This past Easter uh, had some fun with my sons. We had a, a hornet's nest in our tree out back. It was about the size of a basketball. And so what do you do with a hornet's nest that big that's 30 feet up in the air? You get your 12-gauge and you shoot it. So my two boys and I, we got the 12-gauge out. We shot the, the hornet's nest, a, a dormant hornet's nest, by the way, out of the tree and had a lot of fun. Made me think about when, when I was a boy, young boy, maybe, I don't know what it was, seven, eight, nine years old. And my family had some property in New York and we were clearing brush on that property. My dad was building a pole barn on that property. And he had this old hand cement mixer there for pouring the floors of the, that pole barn. And I remember one Sunday afternoon, we, we went up there to the property. And as a seven, eight, nine year old, I didn't want to work. I wanted to play. And, and now I tell my sons the opposite. As you get older, we want to work before we play. We work hard, then we play hard. But when I was a kid, I wanted to play hard before working hard. So I climbed up on this, this cement mixer to climb around to play. And the next thing I know, I'm getting zipped. And I got stung three times by yellow jackets. And I was screaming and crying. My, my dad saw me from a distance. He thought I was dancing. I'm not a dancer, but he thought, because I was just jumping around from these hornets. I had to be taken to the hospital, given a shot because I started to break out and to swell up. And they determined that then I was allergic to bee stings. That was on a Sunday. I remember on Monday, I was talking to my neighbor and, and my neighbor said that he had gotten stung by a wasp on Sunday. The same day that I got stung. I said, no kidding. How many, you know, how many times did you get stung? He said, oh, I got stung just once. I'm like, oh, I got stung three times. 
And then I asked him, did you cry when you got stung? He said, yeah, I cried. And then I lied to him. I said, I didn't cry. And I'm telling you what, within the hour, I don't know how much longer it was, but within the hour, I actually got stung by my neighbor's house. The truth was up because I went crying and screaming and running back to my, to my house like a little baby crying like that. After I just beat my chest saying that, that I didn't cry. My sin had found me out. My, my cockiness, my proud spirit had been exposed. In James chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 and then 10, James says, hey, God opposes the proud. He is abhorred by the proud. He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. The devil is trying to incite you to be proud and arrogant and cocky. But if you resist him, he'll flee from you. Then he says in verse 8, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. So humility fuels the Holy Spirit. It doesn't quench the Holy Spirit. Pride quenches the Spirit. Humility fuels the Spirit and his strength and power and presence in our life. Verse 10, Humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. The Holy Spirit will lead you and empower you to be humble. But a cocky spirit quenches the Holy Spirit. And that's, what does that lead to? It leads to disappointment and destruction. Just like Joshua and the Israelites with their cocky spirit. Well, let's jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Paul wrote a letter to believers in uh, the city of Colossae. And this, this church in Colossae, these believers, they got this letter and it was intended to help them to grow as disciples and also make disciples. And he ends this letter of Colossians uh, by sharing a greeting from some of his fellow missionary travel partners. Uh, first of all, in Colossians 4.14, we read, Paul says, Dr. Luke, he's the guy who wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. He says, Dr. Luke, who's with me, sends his greetings, and so does Demas. Well, we know who Luke is, but who's Demas? What's he doing there? Well, let's read his final greetings that he wrote to Philemon. And this was written about the same time, 60 AD, to Colossians, 60 AD to Philemon. Uh, he, a similar greeting, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. So does Mark. This is the writer of the book of Mark, John Mark. Um, Aristarchus, um, Demas, here's Demas again, Demas is with him, and Luke. Luke is still with him, my co-worker. So these guys, this Demas, he's a fellow missionary, co-worker of Paul and Luke and Mark. Let's fast forward seven years. Paul's final letter written to his disciple Timothy in his uh, closing remarks in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, hey, please come as soon as you can. Demas, here's Demas. What's he done? Demas has deserted me. Why? Because he loves the things of this life. Here's this guy Demas. He spent time with Paul and Luke and Mark. Paul and Luke and Mark, they wrote a combined 17 books of the New Testament. 17 out of 27 were written by these three guys. Demas was serving alongside them as a missionary. And here he is, seven years later, he deserted Paul. Why? Because he loved the things of this life. 
this missionary, this follower, this disciple of Jesus, Demas, he deserted Paul, deserted the missionary work, not because the Spirit told him to. Now, sometimes the Spirit will lead somebody out of ministry. I just talked to this last week, a friend of mine who's a pastor in our district, and he is stepping out of ministry, not because of anything wrong that he's done, not because he's burned out, just because he sensed, hey, the Lord is telling me to take a season out of ministry right now. The Holy Spirit was leading him to that. But that's not what happened to Demas. He deserted because he loved the things of this life. In other words, he had a comfortable spirit. A comfortable spirit is preoccupied with myself. Me, me, me. It's all about me. It's all about my personal happiness, my personal comfort, the things of this life that bring me instant gratification. What does the Holy Spirit do? We've learned that the Holy Spirit fills us, leads us, empowers us, anoints us, and sends us to live a life really just like Paul. We are sent ones to our neighborhoods, to our families, to our co-workers, to our classmates in school. We're sent ones. We're called to live and we're sent to live a dangerous life. A life on mission for God. A life that counts, not necessarily a life that's comfortable. Remember, the Holy Spirit, He gives us power. Power to do two things. To live righteously like Jesus and to be a witness like Jesus. To make disciples. The Holy Spirit gives us power to live out the character of Jesus and the priorities of Jesus. Righteousness and make disciples be a witness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. A comfortable spirit does the opposite. A comfortable spirit fuels me to live selfishly rather than righteously. And a comfortable spirit keeps my, my words of witness to myself because it's uncomfortable to share with other people. It's uncomfortable to invest in other people. It's an inconvenience to my time and my interest to do those other things. First John 2.15 says, Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you, like Demas did. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. When I love the things of this world, like Demas did, more than I love God, then I'm quenching the Spirit. It's all about what do I love more? What do I pursue? What is driving me? Now, is it okay to want to be comfortable? Sure. When I'm sitting in a chair, it, I'd much rather prefer being in a comfortable chair than an uncomfortable chair. That's perfectly fine. Or when you want to sleep at night. It's, it's difficult to sleep and get good rest in an uncomfortable bed. So you want a comfortable bed, comfortable pillow. Uh, if you're, it's okay to have a television. If I've got a little 20 inch TV and sitting 10 feet away and I've got to squint to see it, that's uncomfortable. It's okay to have a, a bigger TV that, that you can see as long as the Holy Spirit provides and gives you the okay to get that ever sized TV. It's okay to have a comfortable car that's not breaking down on the highway all the time. But the question is, what am I pursuing? What drives me? Am I driven by a life that counts? Or am I driven by a life that's comfortable? Am I driven by a Holy Spirit-led life? 
or a comfortability-driven life? What's the prevailing attitude of my heart? And this is worth discussing at home there with your families or with other friends. What's driving me? Is comfortability more important than convictions and living like Christ being driven by the Spirit? Let's jump back to the Old Testament. Um, We're going to go back around 3,000 years from right now during the reign of King David in Israel. And the context here in King David, we're going to be in 2 Samuel, is this is about 20 years into King David's reign as king. King David has just spent the last 20 years fighting, leading his army into battles. And in 2 Samuel 10, right before we read 2 Samuel 11, um, there's a, a country called the Ammonites. The Ammonites got sideways with Israel. They wanted to fight them. And they enlisted the help of the Amorite or the, 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 the Arameans to come and help them. <clears throat> and so David led his army out to battle and they fought them. They defeated them. They killed almost 41,000 of them, went back to Jerusalem. And this is either like in the summertime or the fall of a certain year. And we're going to pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, verse 1, that says the following spring, the following spring, the time of year when kings go to war. So this is when the war starts back up in the springtime. What did David do? David sent Joab and the Israelite army. Joab was his first in command to destroy the Ammonites. They're going to go finish those guys off. In the process, they laid siege to the city of Raboth. But David stayed behind. The kings normally go out to war. David the king stayed behind in Jerusalem. What happened there? Late one afternoon, David got out of bed after taking a nap. The king was taking a nap and he went for a stroll. Now, I can't tell you that I've ever been on a stroll. I've been on a hike. I've taken a walk, gone for a run, gone for a jog, gone on a little expedition or climbing, but I've never taken a stroll. David was taking a stroll on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife. This is a married woman. He's a married man. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was one of David's six or mighty men, one of his mighty warriors. Verse 4 says, Well, then David sent for her, and when she came to the palace, he slept with her. He committed adultery. He committed a great sin. What would ever lead this man of God, a man after God's own heart, to do such a thing? And it doesn't even end here. He, he goes on to have Uriah murdered so that he could take uh, Bathsheba as his wife and cover up his sin because she became present. She became pregnant. What led him to do such a thing? Well, it wasn't the Holy Spirit, that's for sure. It was a complacent spirit. A complacent spirit is a lazy spirit, an inactive spirit, um, driven by a pursuit of leisure, taking a nap, taking a stroll. David was tired. 
David wanted a break. Now, honestly, David needed a break. This was 20 years going on. But he did not seek the rest and restoration from the Holy Spirit of God. He was instead controlled by, overwhelmed with, a complacent spirit. And that complacent spirit quenched the spirit of God. The spirit of God would have told him, go to war in the springtime like the kings do. The spirit of God would have told him if he was resting on the roof, don't even look. Do not sin. He, his complacency quenched the Holy Spirit. I told you I was reading in Amos chapter 6. I want to read verse 1 from chapter 6, which says, Woe to you who are complacent. There's a woe to you who are complacent. And this word woe is a lament. It means you are in a very bad situation. You are in a dangerous situation. You are in an unenviable situation. I would hate to be you. Woe to you. In the scriptures, laziness is never applauded. It is always castigated. Woe to you who are complacent. People get complacent and get controlled by a complacent spirit for two reasons. First of all, we get complacent when we are tired and worn out, like David. Um, you could become burned out on work, working too many hours, not getting enough rest, not getting enough break. You could become burned out on ministry. It's a real tragedy. In the last couple months, I've read of two, not necessarily famous or prominent, but two pastors who have committed suicide because they've gotten burned out and worn out. The Holy Spirit says, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give that to you. The Holy Spirit says, hey, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. But a complacent spirit quenches the Holy Spirit's voice and his invitation to come and get rest. The complacent spirit, uh, people get controlled by a complacent spirit when they lose the vision of God's plan and God's purpose. So not just getting tired and worn out, but if we lose vision of what God's called me to do, who God's called me to be, he's called me to be a disciple. He's called me to make disciples. Remember, the Holy Spirit empowers me to live righteously and be a witness. And that's the purpose. That's the simple purpose of life. And if I lose the vision for what God's called me to be, I can end up pursuing being comfortable, which eventually leads me to just be lazy and be complacent. I want to take just a second to thank the Freedom Bible Church family those of you, many of you have not been complacent, but you have been a, a blessing. Remember, we talked about being a blessing by donating food, by giving Easter outreach gift bags, by continuing to worship God, by giving to the church. We want to say thank you for that. By, by tuning in on Sunday morning, by coming out this coming Saturday to work and to serve Jesus together. I want to say thank you for being led by the Holy Spirit not by complacency to do those things. I want to show you a few pictures. Um, I shared a couple weeks ago about my friend Komoro from Tanzania. Now, we at Freedom Bible Church, we support two missionaries, Alyssa Soy 
and Michael Titus. Alyssa is, is raising her funds now, and we're, we're honored to serve her. And she's going to be heading to El Salvador after things settle down. But we also support Michael Titus, who's a Tanzanian man, a disciple maker. And one of his disciples is this guy, Camoro. Uh, you can see him here. He's in the white shirt. And remember a couple weeks ago I said he went, went to this village to share the gospel with people in this village. Well, guess what happened there? They led people to Christ. He has not been complacent. He has been led by the Spirit. And here they did a baptism, even baptizing a whole family. This is not complacency. This is diligence. This is following the lead of the Holy Spirit. This is knowing my purpose. This is what he's called me to do and keeping my vision focused on that purpose. And even though we get tired and worn out, we follow the Holy Spirit's lead to rest in him, to Sabbath in him not to become complacent. Well, let's wrap up this week by identifying one final spirit, one final attitude that quenches the Holy Spirit. We're going to go back to the New Testament. We're in a letter from John to believers to help them become disciples. And some of his closing remarks in his third letter, he said, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will have nothing to do with us. I want you to notice something real quick that Paul named Demas, called him out. John named Diotrephes, called him out. Two troublemakers, two guys who weren't great guys. And how would you like this? To get your name in the Bible, but not for a good reason. Demas started out okay, Diotrephes didn't. Diotrephes, he loved to be first. He would have nothing to do with us. So John says, so if I come, I'm going to call attention to what he is doing. I'm going to call him out publicly. And what is he doing? He's gossiping maliciously about us. And not satisfied with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers. He's got no hospitality to brothers and sisters, to fellow believers. He also stops those who want to do so. People who want to show hospitality, he stops them and he puts them out of the church. Well, who is this Diotrephes? He's actually an elder. He's the pastor in the church. And what's happened to him? He has gotten drunk with power. And he loves to be first. His problem is he has a competitive spirit. Now, there is a healthy level of competitiveness. There is a healthy level of competition in most areas of life. In sports, it's okay to be competitive to a certain degree and try to win games. It's okay in, in work to have a certain degree of competitiveness and try to become the best at your craft or to try to earn better money. That's okay, that level. I love this picture. This is a guy named Blake Leeper. He holds the world record in the 400 meters for para-athletes. He was actually born with both of his lower legs missing. And his spirit of competitiveness has led him to reach a level of achievement. That's okay. There's a healthy level of competitiveness. There's also an unhealthy level. Maybe when it comes to working on your yard, you have to have the best yard in the neighborhood or having the cleanest driveway when it comes to snow. I'll tell you what, that was a problem for me. 
Uh, we were renting a house about 20, 25 years ago, and I wanted my front yard to look like Jacob's Field infield. I would crisscross those um, and do diagonals with the mowing each week, and in the wintertime, I would get up at 5, 6 in the morning because I wanted to be the first one out in the driveway, shoveling that driveway, the cleanest driveway on the whole stinking street. That was an unhealthy competitiveness. In, in work, this unhealthy competitive spirit can lead you to be unethical or ruthless or greedy. Or in sports, it can lead you to cheat or to play dirty. And I don't know if you're a sports fan, if you've been watching The Last Dance on ESPN, it's about the Chicago Bulls in the, in the 90s and their final 1998 season. And the real highlight is they're really pumping up Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was a great player. I happen to believe he's number two after LeBron, number one. But you really see this competitive spirit coming out of Michael Jordan. And some people began to say, you know what, this elevates him even better. He's got to be the number one guy. I kind of think, after watching this, he's a great basketball player, but he was a jerk. Man, he treated people badly. Putting down teammates, verbally assaulting, punching a guy, that's an unhealthy competitive spirit, even if it leads you to win. Let's ask a question. Well, just how exactly does a competitive spirit quench the Holy Spirit? Remember our boy Diotrephes. He wanted to be first. He didn't want others. He didn't want John or anybody else to have any attention. Probably he had these insecurities about him. So what did he do? His competitiveness, wanting to be first, drove him to sin, to gossip, to show inhospitality, to excommunicate people, to exercise his power that way. The Holy Spirit wasn't leading him to do that. This competitive spirit was leading him to do that. Work with a number of pastors, and, and I've talked to a number of guys and been aware of a number of pastors who've been fired from churches. Um, there's pastors in the news who, because of immorality or because of controlling anger, um, or because of uh, misuse of money, even a pastor who was an alcoholic, they got fired, and justifiably so. But I also know some pastors who have been fired simply because they were becoming too popular in their church. They weren't the senior pastor, they were a staff pastor. And the people in the church started liking their preaching a little bit better. They started liking them as a pastor, as a shepherd, a little bit better than the senior pastor. And the senior pastors, they sometimes, in their insecurity and competitiveness, get rid of them because they love to be first. Diotrephes loved to be first. He was not controlled by the Holy Spirit, but was controlled by a competitive spirit. Got to be honest and, and, and confess that early on in ministry, I was driven by and controlled by this competitive spirit. As a young youth pastor in my mid-20s, I had other friends who were youth pastors. And for some reason, when, when they would share about, man, we had 30 kids at youth group this, this last week. For, because of this competitive spirit, I couldn't and I wouldn't rejoice with them because we only had 20. We had to have the biggest. And if they had more, then, then, I, then I didn't rejoice because this competitive spirit quenched the Holy Spirit. Or if they shared, hey, we had some kids come to Christ, put their faith in Christ this last weekend. Or we did this mission trips where our kids were growing and becoming disciples. I wouldn't rejoice with them because they were better than me and I had to be first. 
They had this competitive spirit and it was quenching the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not leading you or me to be better than other people. He's leading you and me to obey Jesus and be the person that Jesus has called me to be, to do the work that Jesus has called me to do. Not to be competitive, not to compare to other people. I want to just sort of close out this competitive idea and our message today by saying that there's this competitive spirit can be very dangerous and unhealthy, not just in quenching the Holy Spirit, but by giving us an inaccurate view of God and his acceptance and his approval. Uh, let me explain. You and I will still fail. We will still sin. And when we do, remember the Holy Spirit's job is to convict us of that sin so that we get back up. We've fallen down. We get back up. We start walking with the Lord again. That's what our life is like for the rest of our lives. And hopefully we fall down fewer and farther between with the Holy Spirit convicts us. We get back up. We keep walking with him. That's what life on this side of eternity is like. But if this competitive spirit starts to control me when I fall down, when I fail, when I sin, the, that competitive spirit will say, you don't measure up. You're a failure. How could God ever love you? How could God ever use you? And I want to remind you that that competitive spirit is attacking the character of God because God's love for me is not dependent on my performance or my character. God's love for me is dependent on his performance and his character. Romans 5.8 says that while we were still sinners, our performance was really bad. While we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us in that Christ died for us. So his performance, his character, his love overshadows and isn't dependent on our character and our level of faithfulness to him. So don't let this competitive spirit keep you in shame, keep you from getting back up and receiving forgiveness and walking in freedom. A competitive spirit, it will drown out the voice of the Holy Spirit telling you that you're forgiven, that you're accepted. Remember, the prodigal son, when he was far off, the prodigal dad ran to him. The prodigal dad was looking for him. And that's what God does. He looks for you. And he runs to you. So in your competitiveness, don't wallow in shame and stay away. Get back up. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. The Father has given us an amazing gift, this Holy Spirit. We have seen who he is. We've seen what he does. We've seen how to walk in the Spirit. And we've also seen what quenches the Spirit. And if you've missed any of those, go on YouTube, go on our website, and you can see all those other messages what we want to do is we want to examine ourselves to make sure that we're fueling the Holy Spirit by reading the Word, by listening to the Spirit as we read the Word and as we go throughout the day, and then we obey. Very simple. We fuel the Spirit by reading, listening, and obeying. And when we do that, we let Him empower us to live righteously and be His witnesses. Examine ourselves to make sure that we're not hindering the Holy Spirit by a cocky spirit, by a comfortable spirit, by a complacent spirit, or a competitive spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you once again for, for showing us the truth from your word. I pray that 
that this wouldn't just be information in our minds, but it would lead to transformation in our hearts and in our hands. That we would walk in the Spirit and find freedom in the Spirit and not be derailed or sidetracked or have our, our lives led to destruction by any of these quenching spirits, Father. Go with us this day. Go with us this week. We celebrate our freedom tomorrow on Memorial Day. We remember those who gave their lives, but most importantly, Jesus Christ paid the highest price while we were still sinners to demonstrate your love for us. Help us to go out in that love. Help us go out in the power of that spirit. Uh, we thank you, Father, through Jesus. Amen. What's our pathway this week? Uh, memorize. Easier verse to memorize this week. Ephesians 5.18, don't be drunk on wine because that leads, that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit control you. And then our reading plan this week, Joshua 1 through 8, to see um, what the Holy Spirit was leading them to do. And we can also see how they succeeded and failed at following his leading to accomplish those purposes. Uh, next week, we're going to take a break from the Holy Spirit. We're actually going to look at Deuteronomy 31 and a message of hope next week from Deuteronomy 31. Um, looking forward to seeing you on Saturday um, at the workday. Please go sign up for that. And then we'll see you back here next Sunday. God bless you. Happy Memorial Day.